Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, and joining me on this very special UFC Zagreb edition of Half the Battle, got the MMA genius in the house once again, and my boy, Kyle Rockstarzy, all the way in Canada. What's up, Kyle? Not much, man. Just excited to uh, break down these fights with you guys. Hopefully we get some dogs. Oh, yeah, we will get some dogs indeed. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm good, man. Ready to, like Kyle said, cash these dogs. That's right. Cash some dogs, <laughs> we will do. But we got to talk about a little bit of chalk. And, I mean, even though it's only minus 170, we got Boyan Velichkovic taking on Alessio DiCirico. And Boyan is minus 170. The comeback on DiCirico is plus 150. It's an interesting matchup because Boyan, you know, he does have more experience. He has fought better competition. And, uh, you know, he's one of these guys that he can win the decision for sure, but the current price that where it's at now, I feel like he can mess it up if you lay that price straight. And the thing with DiCirico is, you know, he's a he's tough, he's durable, he's gritty, he finds a way to win, but the level of competition, like I mentioned, that he's been facing isn't, you know, the elite of the elite whatsoever. So this is going to be a step up in competition for Alessio DiCirico, but uh, at this current minus 165, minus 170, I can't lay it because, look, let's say you put two units on this minus 170 and it cashes. Let's say you take two minus 170 favorites on this car, like N-Whistle and Boyan. You put two units on each. Let's say one of them cashes and one of them loses. That's a losing night right there. So even if Boyan's probably going to win, you know, long term, that line doesn't doesn't win. So, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to play it whatsoever, man. But. You know, if you were, if he was the dog, you take two dogs and only one of them cashes. That's a winning night. So, this is dog or pass. But I'm passing. I see a lot of smart people on Boyan just because of his experience. But I mean, dude lost to fucking Gilbert Smith, and like I know Gilbert Smith's better than anyone that that uh, DiCirico's fought. But still, man, I mean, it's not like Boyan is a future title challenge or anything like that. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I've been watching Bohan for a little while, and uh, was he RFA? Yeah, RFA, RFA champ. Yeah. Um, RFA champ, he's solid everywhere. Nothing's gonna jump at uh, jump out the table, you know. But um, he's a uh, supposedly a Muay, a Muay Thai guy. But to be honest, I think his grappling is better than his uh, striking, you know. And um, he trains at Team Elevation now with Matt Brown, Neil Magny, uh, TJ Dillashaw, former world champions and top contenders. I definitely, in this case, I definitely think he's a better fighter. But like you said earlier, I could see him dropping the ball. I've seen him in spots not be as sharp as people have labeled him to be. Um, but, I mean, he is an RFA champion. He has succeeded at a high level. But, um, you know, I'm probably going to have to take uh, DiCiccio on this one just because I think he's really grimy. He's solid everywhere, and um, he's a dog. So I'm probably – I'm going to pass uh, betting on this fight, but I'll probably pick uh, – Churchill and uh, Top Master. Yeah, now, uh, Kyle, before we get to your perspective, man, I mean, the MMA genius brought up how, you know, Boyan, he is a former kickboxer, but MMA striking and kickboxing are two completely different things. You look at Joe Schilling, you know, he's kicking dudes' ass in glory, but in MMA, in MMA, he can't even win a fight. His striking looks like (laughs) shit. So it's two completely different styles of striking. Kyle Rockstarzy, who you got in the opening fight at UFC Zagreb? Yeah, uh, kickboxing and Muay Thai, totally different than MMA striking. The gloves are different. The, the distance is different. But genius, if you're picking the dog, I, I mean, how do you not throw something on that, you know? Uh, but um, for me, yeah, I'm picking uh, Bojan. I think, uh, I think he's just too strong, man. I thought, um, how, how long ago did he start training at Elevation? Because I'm pretty sure he was at American Top Team. Very recently. Very recently. Okay, yeah. And he looks, 
I mean, to me, he looks juiced. The, his physique is sick. <laughs> honestly, at this level, I think that might be enough to get it done. Now, especially moving camp to elevation, I don't like to uh, bet on guys who have recently moved camps, but I do think that's a good move for him in the long run. Um, and like you said, like uh, I guess he's uh, kickboxing Muay Thai, but when I looked at the tape, it looked like he was more focused around just getting the fight to the mat, uh, staying on top and grinding it out. So that's where the strength really, really plays a factor. And I think that's what's going to happen here. Alessio, I don't want to say he's one dimensional, but he's definitely uh, more striking orientated. So, um, yeah, I think Bojan can just uh, get a takedown and win the fight. Simple as that. Yeah, obviously, Boyan is the more technical guy, like we mentioned. But, you know, when you got a guy like Alessio who is as gritty, grimy, durable, and tough as he is, it is hard for me personally to count him out. And we were talking about the line earlier. So, I mean, for fantasy, yeah, I'll go with Boyan probably by decision. But money-wise, I am passing. Now, next up, we got Jared Cannonier, who's minus 150. He's taking on Cyril Asker, who's plus 130. And – uh you know, when I made my own lines for this fight, I set Jared Cannonier minus 200 because, dude, if you watch some fights on Cyril Asker, you know, not not the prettiest, not the best at all. <laughs> and, you know, Cannonier, you know, even though he got knocked out by Sean Jordan in his UFC debut, actually had yeah, nice footwork, nice movement. He was real light on his And he's actually uh, fought some vets outside the UFC. I know a lot of people like to bring up the fact that, oh, he's from Alaska, this and that. But, hey, he went five rounds with, uh, what's the name of that journeyman? Tony Lopez, I think. Tony Lopez is like, you know, one of those winning journeymen, you know, a, a Travis Fulton who, who's had, you know, 50 fights and, and wins a lot of them. And Jared Cannonier, he beat that guy. But now he gets, a, in my opinion, a step down from, you know, from Lopez and from Sean Jordan and Cyril Asker. So it's kind of a gimme. But once again, man, with that price, I don't lay that price straight because long term it doesn't pay. So, you know, a top master pick is Cannonier. Pass from a bet perspective. Yeah, I'm going to go with the, uh, Jared in this one. Um, I think his debut is just too much too soon. I mean, to have to fight Sean Jordan in your UFC debut, I mean, that's a task. I mean, like you said, he's got good movement. He's a light heavyweight. He's not. He's big, but he moves. He's very agile. Uh, this surreal guy, uh, <laughs> what's much to say? <laughs> I mean, you can't count anyone out. But I definitely got Jared in this one. I think he just mixes it up, outpoints him on the feet, leading into a KO finish. And, um, Possibly gets 50K. Yeah, and Kyle, you know, a lot of the times with these situations, you get a guy who drops his UFC debut, and then they come back stronger in their sophomore appearance. Do you think that's going to be the case here? Uh, yeah, I do. Like you said, um, it's a big step down uh, from Sean Jordan, you know, a super powerful um, high-level athlete who caught him with a strange uh, – it was like a paw right hook from a southpaw stance. And he's so powerful that that short shot from, uh, you know, right behind the ear – that was enough to, to put him down. Cyril Asker is simply not capable of, of landing that type of strike, first because he's uh, an orthodox fighter and also because he just doesn't have the striking uh, to get that done. You know, basically what he does is just a nose-to-the-grindstone style. Uh, he'll eat a few punches to get into the clinch and try to beat you up and drag you down. Like you said, Cannoneer is very, very agile on the feet. He's, I think he's going to have a substantial speed advantage in this fight, and uh, I think that should be enough to get it done. Um, now, Cyril... He is tough. He's got a chin for sure, but I just don't see the uh, the technical proficiency to uh, to hang with Jared in this fight. I think he gets it done with hands. Dude, it's really funny because, you know, on the last card where Vitor Miranda fought, we were all like, well, when guys named Vitor fight, they usually win via knockout. Well, when guys named Cyril fight in the UFC, they usually lose in the first <laughs> So, uh, 
yeah, I'm, I'm going to use that logic, quote-unquote, <laughs> here now. But I, I think Cannonier is the better fighter here. So I'm going to pick him for the win. Now, next up, we got, in my opinion, you know, the pick em fight of the night. We got Lucas Martins, Lucas Minero. He's minus 120. He's taking on the flying judoka, Robert Whiteford, who is plus 100 at the moment. And, man, I expected a lot more from Whiteford in his last fight. I also expected a lot more from Martins in his last fight. They both uh, got very uh, devastating losses to the hands of Mirsad Bektic and, uh, who did, and Darren Elkins. So, yeah, man, you know, those were tough losses. But I'll tell you what, Monero actually performed better against Elkins than Whiteford did. And it's funny because Monero, uh, Martins, for those that don't, that don't know, Monero is his nickname. You know, he he's known for his striking. He's one of those shoot the box, oh, one, one of those guys. So, you know, when he went out there and he didn't get taken down by Darren Elkins, it was kind of a clinch fest. That impressed me that he made it to a split with Elkins, whereas the grappler, Robert Whiteford, got completely grinded out and destroyed by Elkins. Now, MMA math doesn't count for anything. We got to look at this matchup, how, how it goes down. And here's what I think, man. Whiteford's got power on the feet. He's got good judo throws. The thing is, with Minero, he does have very good takedown defense. He is a little bit hittable. We know that. But, uh, you know, I think he's got more tools. I think he's hungrier. And one thing I really like about Lucas Martins is that he took the proper amount of time off after his last fight. You know, that last fight with uh, Mirsad Bektik, that was an ass-whooping. And when you get an ass-whooping like that, you don't just come back a month or two later. You don't just come back four or five months later. You take a good bit amount of time off. You take over a year off. I'm not sure if it's exactly been over a year, but it might it might it's actually been. been. Yeah. So, you know, for example, later on in tonight's – or not tonight, but Sunday night's main event, Junior Cigano, he's coming back way too soon from that devastating knockout to Overeem, whereas – Lucas Martins took the proper amount of time off, and I think he's going to be, you know, rejuvenated. He's going to be motivated, and I think he will defeat Robert Whiteford. Yeah, um, this fight's pretty interesting. Um, like you were saying, they both have a common opponent in Elkins. To be honest, I think um, Whiteford probably fought the better version of Elkins since Elkins has been looking like a new man since he moved out to uh, California lately. But um, my thing with both of these guys is, there's some good things and there's a lot of bad things. Okay, with Whiteford, his cardio is not good at all. I mean, even in his fight that he won against um, Daniel Pineda, at times the guy was running away, moving back, trying to avoid, you know, combat at times because he literally has no oxygen left, you know. And then with Martins, I feel like he's very, very chinny. I mean, we look at those fights against Jeremy Larson. Anytime Larson landed a clean right hand, he got rocked. You look at the fights when he fought Edson Barbosa, that's understandable, of course. Um, even that Junior Hernandez fight when he got that clean KO, when Junior touched his chin, he did a mini chicken dance, you know? Um, who else did he, who else did he fight? Bektik. Can we say one thing about Lucas real quick? We got to give Lucas credit because – He's fought in three weight classes, and he's had about only five fights in the UFC. We've seen him at 55. We've seen him at 45. We've seen him at 35. In my personal opinion, 145 is the optimal weight class for Lucas Martins. For sure. sure. I think uh, the later this fight goes, it will probably be in Martins' favor because even though he's chinny, he's got heart, and he's got fight in him. As whereas Whiteford, when he's tired, that's it. I mean, we saw that Elkins fight. The second he got tired, he accepted getting grinded. Whereas Lucas, he won't accept getting grinded, but he'll get beat up, but he'll always keep trying, you know. Um, 
I'm going to go with Whiteford in this one just because I think he's got a nice left hand, at least a short, nice left hand, and I think he's going to wobble Martins and uh, get little takedowns or edge him out in the grappling here and there. But uh, it's going to be a close to a split decision type of fight. Definitely passing on it. And um, But I'll take Whiteford. Well, Kyle, obviously he said it's a split decision type of fight. But we got a split decision right here right now on half the battle because I'm going Martins. <laughs> he's going Whiteford. Who are you going with? I'm going with Whiteford. I feel like that's where the value is on this fight. I think, uh, like you guys said, Martins is so hittable and he's a little bit chinny that um, Whiteford will be able to land that left-hand shot. And also, uh, I, I like I like the comparison. Both fought Elkins. Uh, Elkins had more success versus Whiteford. But I feel like, uh, as far as the grappling is concerned, Whiteford will uh, attempt more takedowns than Martins. So I think if he lands the bigger shots and he scores a few takedowns, um, he can squeak the decision or possibly finish uh, Martins. I know, Dan, you don't like fighters who quit. And uh, if you remember correctly, he actually, Lucas Martins was tapping to strikes uh, against Edson Barbosa. Now that's no, um, like I would tap to strikes versus Edson Barbosa as well. Right? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying I wouldn't, but uh, that is something to note that he does kind of, he'll fade and he'll he'll crumble. Um, but I, I think it goes to decision. I, I'm, I'm leaning Robert Whiteford just because I feel like he mixes in the takedowns. So um, if this fight, if this line gets to uh, plus money, right now I think Whiteford's at even money. If I get some plus money on that, I'll, I'll throw something on it. And also uh, to balance that bet out, I don't mind a bet on uh, Jared Cannonier parlayed with uh, Bojan because that way you just need one of those bets to cash. I know it's a little sketchy, but I'm thinking about playing both those bets uh, a little bit smaller than the rest of the bets on the card. Well, good luck to you. Super risky in my opinion. Now, you brought up a very good point because, like you said, I don't like guys that quit. But in Lucas Monero's defense, he was up a weight class. He did take that fight on, on super short notice, and he fought him like a man. He just, you know, Edson Barbosa is a big lightweight, and this dude, uh, Martins, has fought at bantamweight before. So, you know, props to him for taking that fight. It didn't go his way. But, you know, we've seen uh, better versions of him since that fight, in my opinion. And hopefully sure. someday we see an even better version. So we'll see who gets the victory now. This next one is very interesting. The line is exactly the same as the previous fight. We got Damian Stasia. He's minus 120. The comeback on Philip Pedjik is plus 100. And, uh, you know, Stasiak, I don't think he really showed what he's capable of in his UFC debut because if you watch his regional scene fights, he's throwing spinning back kicks. On the ground, he's going for Uma Platas. I mean, the guy is very creative. And in that top position, he's very, very strong. And he's pretty creative on uh, on his feet too. The thing with Pedjik is, you know, he puts a smile to my face just because, I mean, this guy's got an attitude about him. He's got a fighting spirit about him. You know, you, you watch him knock dudes out with soccer kicks. You watch him knock dudes out with uppercuts. The biggest issue with Pedjik is he's a little green and, you know, he can get laid on for sure. He can get grinded out 100%, especially in the UFC level when he's not fighting, you know, the regional scene, uh, cans are journeyman and uh but the thing is can is is stasiak really that good we don't know so i honestly i, I think stasiak's the better fighter but the kind of spirit that pedrick has and brings to the table that puts me off on a bet here because i feel like he could end the fight at any moment but if i had to pick who is the better fighter i do have to go with stasiak but in my opinion this fight is totally a coin flip so yeah you could go either way who you got man <laughs> Yeah, uh, this fight's going to be really interesting. You know, uh, when I checked out Pehek, you know, I instantly became a fan because wild as hell. 
Um, I wish we had pride rules for this card so we could see him, you know, possibly stomp his head in. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, like Daniel said, I mean, it's just a matter of can Peck keep this on the feet, keep it wild, keep it entertaining in his realm, in his realm versus Stasiak, who's just going to want to lay on him. Most likely, Stasiak can probably just out-muscle him, get the double-unders, take him down when he wants, because Peck, he really can't wrestle, you know. But um, I'm going to take Peg just because I like the kid's heart. I think he's going to – I think he will get taken down. I think he will get laid on for a while, but I think he's going to get up. I think he's going to go in berserk mode, and I think he's going to catch something – catch Damien with something flashy. You know, Damien, he was supposed to fight uh, Goyito, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, he was supposed to fight Goyito, and, um, you know, I would think – I think I was going to bet on him in that fight. But – um. I just really like this kid, Peg. You know, I mean, it just comes down to can he stuff the takedown. But uh, I think he will. Um, maybe not consistently, but I think he will seize the uh, moment when he rocks him. Yeah, and in my opinion, even if he does drop this fight, his UFC debut, like we mentioned earlier on the show, he's going to be one of those guys that comes back and gets some wins, just like someone else on the car that we're going to talk about, this Bosnian bomber. But before we get to him, let me hear your take on this fight, man. Uh, yeah, basically, I feel like he might not be taken down all the time, but if, if Damien Stasia gets him down once and gets on top of him, he's either going to submit him or he's just going to put him in, in bad positions and make uh, Philip work, you know. And I've seen in his last fight, he just does not know how to uh, economically get up off the bottom. So um, I'm going with Stasiak here, but I was only going to bet it if he was a sizable underdog because you're right, he could get caught with some flashy. Uh, we've seen Philip uh, knock guys out coming in, so um, that could he could definitely catch uh, Stasiak. Um, Stasiak's his striking is it seems decent, but it's still pretty uh, robotic and, and and stiff for my liking. So with a guy with power uh, in Philip, you know it's it's dangerous. But I, I just see a glaring hole in in uh, Pajek's game, so I can't really back him at this point. Yeah, man, I, I don't blame you, you know. I mean, it's totally understandable. Stasiak is the more technical fighter. But we'll have to see, you know, can Philippe catch him or is he going to get grinded out? That's the big question. But I'm not, uh, I'm not, you know, I don't lean on one guy more to, you know, enough to take that shot. So I'm just passing, man. But on this next fight, finally we got to play to mate. So Ian Entwistle, he's minus 145. He's taking on Alejandro Perez, who's plus 125. And, uh... Who should we start with first? Let's go with Perez. You know what I mean? So, first of all, Perez is holding my boy Cheeto Vera's tough uh, title because Cheeto wasn't able to compete due to a skin condition. So, uh, you know, Perez ended up winning that decision over Quinones, who I actually thought Quinones won that fight. Then his next fight, he takes on uh, – what's the name of that little dude? Pa Patrick Williams. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't even a fight. He got caught, and then he got choked <laughs> out. Then his next fight, we, we both bet on him. He took on Scott Jorgensen. Always fade Scott Jorgensen. Always. <laughs> I, him too. I mean, just, just that's that's one of that's one of our rules. I we mean, love, come we on. We love you, Scott. Yeah, dude, Scott's a fucking badass. You know, we we watched his whole WC career, but uh, you know, it can be it can, it can be cold, it can be ruthless, but it is never personal. Now with Alejandro Perez, so he takes on Scott Jorgensen. It's funny. I was talking with a couple people online. I'll tell you who they were: Hari Tarvanen and. Um, and touch butt MMA. And they were saying stuff like uh, uh, Perez used very good, you know, very good range against Scott Jorgensen. And this, I'm like, dude, I was screaming at my fucking TV because, because Jorgensen was completely done. 
And this guy Perez, he's running away from a from a wounded opponent, and, uh-huh. and these guys are calling it good use of your range. That's not good use of your range. Sean Strickland versus Alex Garcia is good use of your range. What this guy did was is called running away, and he got lucky that you know Jorgensen's body fell apart on him. So in this fight, what's going to happen is, I mean, look at Ian Entwistle's record. He's never been out the first round. He either gets a first round heel hook or he quits. So in this fight, I expect him to get that first round heel hook. I do not think he's going to quit. But if by some stretch of the imagination, Alejandro Perez can escape the heel hook and pound him out, you know, I, I took the fight does not start round two prop. So I hope it doesn't start round two. You know, I was originally going to take Ian Entwistle in round one because it was like plus 175. Now it went down to plus 145. But the thing is, what if he doesn't get the heel hook? What if he fucks it up? So at least this way, if Perez does finish him in the first round, I can still cash. But my pick is for sure Ian Etwistle via that first round heel hook. I mean, this dude will dive on it from all angles. He'll chase you down. The problem here is that Perez is going to run away from him. He's going to be hard to find. But once once Ian finds him, he will break his leg. I don't think uh, Alejandro can escape that heel hook whatsoever. Now, you know, people were talking about um, Ian Etwistle's fight with Dan Hooker and trying to compare that to Alejandro. Look, first of all, Daniel Hooker is six foot one. He's a big 145er and he's very skilled. Dan Hooker has got a way bigger ceiling than Alejandro. I don't really see Alejandro pounding out Ian Etwistle. I see him getting tapped out. What do you see, man? Yeah. Um, the thing with this fight is, like you said, with these leg lock guys, if they don't get the leg lock, they generally fold up and quit. And uh, matter of fact, I think we should refer to Etwistle as the English Tokino from now on. But, um, I like it and whistle a lot. Um, got several entries to that heel hook. Um, Sorry, he uh, he dives from it from several different ways. Like if you watch his uh, Cage Warriors fights before he got into the UFC. Um, the thing is, Alejandro runs away, like you said. And if from a betting perspective, if you're looking to bet on Alejandro because you think that and whistle might quit if he doesn't get this leg lock, I mean. In his last fight against Jorgensen, I bet on him straight and inside the distance. And me and Dan were here uh, screaming at the TV to throw punches when Jorgensen's wobbly on one leg. That shows a lack of killer instinct. And to me, it seems like it just doesn't seem like you want it. I mean, if you have a guy hurt on a leg, I mean, you should go in for the kill. Um, I got end whistle all day in this, but I am going to touch the end whistle in round one just because I think Alejandro's not – he doesn't really have that much killer instinct, and I don't think he'll finish him um, in the first round. So I definitely got Enwilson in round one, and um, by vicious heel uh, hook. And you might hear a man screaming this one. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna it's gonna get brutal, man. Because with these leg lock guys, I mean, if you've ever trained jujitsu before, you know, watch out for that leg lock guy in the gym because that's the one guy you don't want to roll with. They do not give a fuck. They only go for the yeah. legs. They specialize in that leg. But, you know, the, the downside of that is they'll break if they can't get it. And uh, another thing, man, uh, you know, Alejandro is training at AKA now, AKA uh, Injury MMA. And then, um, you know, we got uh, Ian Whistles living in Thailand. He's got a nice place. He's taking this thing seriously. He trains in his house, just training leg locks all day, what he calls leg jitsu. And um, I think he's going to get it done, man. And he also is aware of the fact that Alejandro likes to run. Because if you've seen Ian's uh, Twitter, he's like, looks like I got to uh, chase uh, my next opponent. He's, he said it a little bit differently than I just did. Go look it up in a sec. Now, Kyle, I mean, I, I heard you were torn on this fight, man. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, this is a clear pass. Um, I, I don't trust Ian Entwistle enough to get it done. Um, but at the same time, Perez can definitely be submitted. It's just the fact that he's been training at American Top Team now, or sorry, uh, American Kickboxing Academy for a while now. So I think he's uh, starting to uh, reap the benefits of that type of training. So if he's able to just sprawl and, and brawl on this guy, I think he can get it done. But uh, definitely, I have no confidence either way. Uh, my pick is actually going to be Ian. I'm, I'm going with you guys. But uh, but for me, it's just a clear, clear pass. So uh, good luck. I hope he snaps his heel in the first round for you. And also about uh, – I had Perez as well when he fought Jorgensen. I, I said that was the best bet on the card. He was like a uh, at least a plus 150 underdog. It was a sick bet. But I think it was more just mercy when uh, – because Jorgensen was completely out of the fight after he rolled his ankle. Like it wasn't even like, you know – yeah, I think uh, Alejandro just felt bad, but I, I agree that that's a lack of killer instinct. You should just go in because you can't give the guy an opportunity to recover. But, uh, you know, the ref was asking him, like, hey, are you still in the fight? Do you want out? So maybe that gave Alejandro Perez pause just to kind of see if the ref was going to call it. Um, but, yeah, all that being said, you know, when you got a guy like Ian Entwistle who has such a razor-sharp tool, I really think those are the type of fighters that are going to start coming through uh, in the UFC. Uh, we went through a few phases where, like, at first, it became like you need to be well-rounded. You can't have any weaknesses. And now that everyone is well-rounded, I think it's guys like Ian Entwistle or uh, you know guys like Wonder Boy who have just a very, very sharp weapon to bring into the octagon so they can exploit guys who don't really have their defense uh, tight enough in that area. So I'll go with Ian Entwistle. You know, he's up. It's not just a heel hook either. He, he's got arm bars. He's got rear naked chokes. So if he gets this to the ground, I think he can wrap him up. And uh, that's going to be the pick. But I don't, I don't really like betting guys in round one or anything like that, and I don't really want to put money behind Ian as a favorite. Not only did uh, Perez show a lack of uh, killer instinct, he showed a lack of fight IQ. Because I'll tell you what, man, if Tomas Almeida had someone wobbling on <laughs> one leg, it'd be over right then and there. He wouldn't run away. We wouldn't be screaming at the TV. I mean, when Tomas fights, even if he gets rocked, we're so confident that he's going to get back up to his feet and knock the guy out. With Perez, Love man, this that. guy gets rocked. Watch out, bro. And uh, speaking of Almeida, man, we can't wait for that one. We'll talk that, about that later. <laughs> but, uh, that Garbrandt fight, I'm more excited for that than any fight for a while, like a long, long time. That's just a sick matchup between two young bucks. And the way they match up is just – it's going to be fireworks. I can't wait. Uh, do you guys have an early read on that fight? Because I, I will not bet against Thomas Almeida. Yeah, I'll just tell you – Something, if you've ever heard half the battle before, you've heard me go on record many times and say that I consider Tomas Almeida to be a future UFC Bantamweight champion. Not only do I think he's going to knock out Cody Garbrandt, I'm willing to put five units on minus 170. I don't bet wow. minus 170 ever. I'm so confident in Tomas Almeida. And wow. I think he knocks out Cody in the first two rounds, and it's not even going to be an issue. It's not going to be a sweat. You know what? We'll get tagged once or twice. Big deal. He gets tagged every fight. Then he, but the thing with Tomas is he keeps that composure. He always stays technical. And when he's got you hurt, he finishes. He never lets anyone off the hook. Even the one little wrestler that made it to a decision. I mean, that guy got 30-26. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's a bad <laughs> night for uh, Cody Garbranch, as they like to say in Brazil. Now, next up, we got – oh, man, this shit's going to be good. We got Merbek Daisumov. He's minus 360. And the comeback on the Bosnian bomber, Damir Hadzovic. It's plus 300. Now, both these guys are complete badasses. And when I lined the fight myself, you know, I actually had it close to a pick'em because, you know, a lot of people don't know about Demir. And let me tell you about this guy, Demir Hadzovic. They don't just call him the Bosnian bomber for no reason. I mean, this guy is an absolute 
Mayweather. You watch some of his earlier fights, and he's actually got the ground game covered. You know, he can take dudes down. He can escape the bottom position. If you put him on his back, which he rarely gets put on his back, he'll work his way back up to his feet. That's what I like to see. He always finds a way to win. He never quits. And then on the feet, he's got bombs in his hands. So he's got all the attributes that I like in an up-and-coming fighter, that heart, that will to win, and the physical attributes as well. With Maribek Tysimov, that's a scary individual too. You know, he was on half the battle. You know, people are always like, oh, you're going to bet on Tysimov just because he was on half the battle. Yeah, just like I applied that logic when I bet on Justin Scoggins at plus 250 to beat Ray Borg, who was on half the battle, right? Well, I'm going to go the opposite way here. I'm going to pick Demir Hadzovic plus 300. I mean, look, if it was plus 150, you know, maybe then you pass plus 300 on this kid who he's only lost to Kristoff Jocko, who in his own right is a fucking winner. I mean, look at Jocko's record. What, 15 and 1 or something like that? Like, Jocko's a total winner. People don't give him the credit he deserves. And Jocko's a 185er. Demir is a 155er. Uh, this 155er went to a decision with the 185er. You know what I mean? That's his only loss. He's experienced. I know he only he has lost Andreas Stahl as well. Sorry to cut you off. Stahl is a welterweight or middleweight. I mean, yeah, yeah. Stahl can't make 55. I'll tell you that right <laughs> now. He's got to cut off the leg. So, uh, you know, with that being said, man, I think he's got what it takes. And at plus 300, look, I got so much respect for Tysimov. You see me interview him. He's a really cool guy. I love watching him fight. He gives us great knockouts. But uh, I'll go on record and say that Demir Hadzovic is better than anyone Tysimov has faced inside the octagon. I mean, let's look at the resume. Taehyun Bang, Michelle Prezeris, Anthony Christodoulou, Marcin Bandel, Alan Patrick. I believe that Demir Hadzovic is better than all those fighters. Now, I view this as a split decision type of fight. I could see Taisumov winning. I mean, Taisumov's a fucking badass. You can never count out someone like Mirbek Taisumov ever. But when you see minus 360 and plus 300 on a fight that should not be lined by that, just because you know that they haven't been doing their homework on Demir Hadzovic, you know they have no idea who this guy is, that's when you take advantage of an opportunity and you want to find out firsthand. So I'm going to take that shot on Demir Hadzovic at plus 300. Yeah. Um, when this uh, fight got announced, of course, you know, I was thinking Tysimov was going to be an easy parlay leg. I mean, he's fighting a newcomer. This kid's going to get overwhelmed. But then I checked this kid Hatsovich out, and I was like, man, I mean, we watched him together. I mean, he's really fucking good, you know. He's solid everywhere. He can take dudes down. I like the way he flows his hands through his kicks, through his knees. Um, obviously, he hasn't fought anyone on Tysimov's level, and this is going to be a serious – Oh, yeah, Jocko. Um, but, I mean, this is going to be a serious task to take out Tysimov in his debut. And Tysimov's a guy who's supposed to fight Dariush. He's on the cusp of that top 15 level, you know. Um, he's skilled everywhere. He trains in Thailand. Um, but I really think the line should not be this line. I feel like it should be maybe plus 150 for Demir, you know. I have to take that shot on Demir because I think he's really good. I, to be honest, I think he's better than half the dudes on the lightweight roster, to be honest, right now. And I I pick him against a lot of dudes, you know. Um, I have to take that shot just because of the line. I know fading Maribek Tysimov is – it sounds, you know, very stupid right now because it seems like he's getting better and better and that he's on the cusp of getting that real fight to uh, push him up the ranks at 155. But – um. I really see something in this kid, Demir, and uh, I got to take that shot. 
Yeah, man, I got to take the shot too. And like, like you said, you know, Tyson Wobb's working his way up the ranks. He was about to fight Benny. And I believe that Tyson Wobb's got a very bright future. I believe Tyson Wobb could win this fight too. I mean, there's a good chance Tyson Wobb could win. But look, when you see plus 300, I don't want to leave that on the table. I'm willing to, you know, I don't want to say throw away a unit because I believe it's going to cash, but I'm willing to, to find out, man. Let, let's see what it's all about. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Tyson Wobb, I mean, the dude's a killer. I mean, what we've seen, uh, of course, is against dudes that we probably consider mid-tier UFC fighters or low-level UFC fighters. But, I mean, the way he does it, I mean, it's devastating, you know, um, which means he, he does what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to go out there and crush that can right away. And from a betting perspective, you like that. Um, this Demir kid, I mean, he's got a tough test, but I'm willing to see if he's the real deal like I think he is. What do you think, Kyle? Um, yeah, I can respect that you, you're you taking the shot on what's, uh, you know, the odds are further apart than they should be for sure. Uh, I checked out the tape as well. One thing to, uh, important to note about Demir is he trains at Rumble Sports with uh, Nicholas Dalby. So I like that dynamic of two guys uh, training together and fighting on the same card. Um, I also like, uh, like you said, how he strings everything together. Uh, one of his knockouts, he throws a right knee and then it misses. And right after, he uses that momentum to throw a left knee that catches the guy. So... Um, especially fighting a shorter guy in Maribak Tysimov. Uh, he can he can work those style of strikes. But, I mean, goddamn, I just cannot pick against Maribak Tysimov. I'm not going to bet against him. I definitely wanted to wanted to bet on him. This guy is so legit. You got you to know, too, like, he's only 27 right now, and it's not as if he's had a bit of a layoff, but it was visa issues. It wasn't injuries. So he's gone through a, a few camps, and at the age he's at, I'm expecting big improvements. Uh, which is crazy to say because technically he's just perfect. I mean, he throws a piston cross. He Not only does he throw technical shots, but he's looking to set them up constantly. He always resets his footwork. He enters beautifully, and I just think he's going to overwhelm uh, Demir on the feet. Um, you know, I, I, don't wanna, I don't really want to say overwhelm. Just he's going to out-volume him and, uh, and land the better shots. But I expect it to be a back-and-forth fight, probably ending in the third round. But I... I mean, I just I think Tysimov's uh, the real deal. He has been fighting cans, but like you said, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing to these cans, and he's still only 27. So it's just like I just I can't pick against him. But I do respect you guys betting uh, where the where the money is. You know, it's so hard to fade Merbeck publicly. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to it's hard he's to fade Merbeck publicly. But here's the thing, man. You bring up his age. It's interesting that he's 27 because he's such a veteran. He's had over 30 fights, and exactly. uh, I love it. You know, I, I want to know if. You know, he's at that point like Jordan Meehan where he might be feeling a little bit burnt out or if he's still adding tools. As far as I've seen, he's still adding tools to his game. He's still nice. hungry. He wants to be the champion. But, uh, you know, when you hit that 35 mark, you never know. But I'll tell you this. If Demir loses this fight, he's still going to come back and have a lot of success in the UFC. So definitely look out for both these guys. Two total sure. badasses. And the only way I'm justifying that shot is because the line is plus 300. Sure, I, I feel that. One more thing to add, though. His last fight was in June of last year, so I feel like we're, he's at this point. If you think he's going to start to slow down or start to tire, like uh, layoffs some, can sometimes make guys hungry. Like we saw that again uh, with uh, Frank Mir when he took a layoff. You know, he's a veteran, so he took a layoff. He kind of got rejuvenated, and I think we, I think we're going to see a really, really hungry Maribek Tysimov come into the, into the cage on Sunday. I agree, and I think the fight's going to come down to skills. We're going to have to find out who's better. Like, you know, it's we can make arguments. What's that? I said it's, a, it's just a great fight all around. Yeah, it really is, man. And, I mean, like, 
as a pick, I mean, I understand the Tyson Moth pick. It's just that line, man. I just that plus 300 when the kid is that damn good and he does have a good chance to win the fight. Another thing, I mean, Hatsovich ain't one of these young newcomers that's a kid, you know, that's going to be overwhelmed by this moment. He's fought on big shows before. He's 30 years old. He's experienced. He's mature. And I think he can handle this moment. But Merbek Tysimov, I mean, man, he's a killer. It's, uh, he's so strong. He's physical. He's gritty. He's got power. He's good on the mat. He's Chechnyan. He's Chechnyan. <laughs> his, his last name's Tysimov, which already scares me, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's like it's so hard to fade him. But like Dan said, plus 300, I'm willing to take that shot. Sure. So, I mean, we'll see what happens, man. You know, if Tysimov goes out there and wins, props to him. He's a yeah. badass. We love Tysimov on half the battle. You guys know that. So uh, next up. Oh damn! This is it's, it get, dude. This card is <laughs> underrated, man. Yeah, like I yeah. like this card a lot. Like uh, you Nicholas, know, you know what's up? It's good. Holy shit! Money came in on Zach yeah, Cummings. Zach Cummings is plus one ten. I might have to, to fucking bet on Dolby here because it's only minus one thirty. But here's the thing: <laughs> with Dolby, you got a karate striker. You know he he likes to move around on his feet a lot. He throws nice kicks, but he also mixes up his striking to his takedowns very nicely. Kind of like. The MMA genius was describing with Hadzovich the way he flows from his striking to his takedowns with Dalby. I mean, he makes it a point to take you to the ground and beat you up. And the thing with Cummings is I respect that guy a lot. You know, he's gritty. He's tough. He's got a very good left hand. He's a softball. He's got a lot of power. I mean, he's a good grappler, too, what he did to Yanka Brawl. But the thing is, this ain't no Yanka Brawl. I mean, Nicholas Dalby can't make 155. Dalby's a pretty big 170. And what I think is going to happen in this fight, I think Zach Cummings is going to chase Nicholas Dalby for three rounds and try to find him. I don't think he's going to find him. Nicholas Dalby, super elusive. They call him the sharpshooter for a reason. He's going to pick his shots. I, you guys think I'm, I'm crazy? He's going to mix in takedowns. And, uh, yeah, he's going to win a decision, probably 30-27, maybe 29-28. The thing about Dalby is he doesn't know how to lose. I mean, you look at his fighting against Darren Till. Look, so he's getting outclassed, then yeah. he gets dropped, and he's just getting beaten up. And a lot of guys would have been like, you know what? Let the ref come in and uh, and save me. You know, where's that door at? With uh, Dalby, he was like, all right. He, he's like real like analytical with his corner. Like, all right, what do I need to do differently, guys? You know what I mean? He's like a real – he's the sharpshooter, but he's a real sharp guy. He's real smart. Like, if you go back and you listen to my interview with him on Half the Battle, the dude is super intelligent. So, he's a winner in every sense of the word. I mean, his record speaks for itself, 14-0. and 0, And it's not like he's, you know, green or anything like that. In Cage Warriors, you know, he fought all five rounds. He knocked some dude out with a head kick in the fourth round before. He's been around the block once or twice with Zach Cummings, super tough guy. But I think the ceiling on Dolby is higher. So, I am picking him for the decision here. Yeah, I mean, um, in this case, you know, when you look at Zach Cummins, when he gets to the fight schedule, you always say, I mean, the dude's probably faster than him, probably better hands, probably better on the mat. But then when he fights, you know, it seems like Cummins is getting the slight edge in these areas, you know. You know, before his last fight against Dom Steele, when he uh, he fought Jan Cabral, Gunny after that, um, you know, he, his striking, it's slow. He finds a way to make it work. It's ugly, it's dirty, it's grimy, but he finds a way to make it work for the most part. He basically sticks to that left hand pretty much, the left uppercuts, the left straights. But in his fight before Dom still, you know, he comes out, he goes down to Black Zillions, trains for a few weeks, 
and he starts coming, popping that jab, then the left hand, which he never pops that jab. The thing with this kid, Dobby, is he's really good. He's probably, he, I will say, he's better than Cummins. He, he's better than Cummins everywhere. The thing is, Cummins has, like, a thing about him where he, like, I feel like he fights better when he fights a better opponent, if you know what I mean. Um, what I'm trying to say is... He as fights as to the level of the Exactly. Fight. He fights to the fights level of the occasion. Yes. Okay. Yeah, there we go. And then... um. I feel like he's just a grimy dude, and I feel like he won't get dominated. Even in that Gunnar Nelson fight, you know, he wins the first round, and then he goes and shoots a shitty uh, single leg and gets choked out, which shows me his fight IQ might not all be there. And he's kind of a grimy meathead, you know what I'm saying? You know, I feel like Dobby's faster, better kicks, better kicks, better uh, faster hands. But, you know, every young fighter needs that first L in their career to really get things going. And, you know, I got to go with Cummins in here. I just think he's going to make it ugly, make it grimy, edge it out, split decision, um, maybe possibly rock them with a couple of fans. But I really like that kid, uh, the heart on that kid, Dolby. I mean, he gets dropped in the first round, dominated in the second, comes back and wins a 10-8 uh, third round. But I, I just feel like this – I feel like Cummins can scrape this one out. So I got to go with Zach. So we got a split decision here, but I want to comment on one thing that the MMA genius said. You know, he mentioned that, you know, Zach is a grimy, you know, durable, tough dude. I completely agree. But we also mentioned how, you know, he shot for that dumb takedown against uh, Gunny. He found a way to lose. With Nicholas Dalvey, this guy's not going to find a way to lose. If anything, he'll find a way to win because you watch that till fight where he gets dropped and dominated and he still wins a 10-8. The guy doesn't know how to lose, but eventually he will get that first L. They all get that first L. So we'll see if this is the time. I don't think it is, though. Another thing is, in that Jan Cabral fight, uh, I think Cummins was like a 4-1 to one underdog, if I'm not mistaken, or close to that. And um, even though Cabral's a 55-er, Cabral's a, like a six-time world champion, and Cummins mounts him, takes his back, gets the better of the grappling exchanges. He could have even stood up, which I don't like that fight IQ. He could have stood up several times, but he's willingly stayed on the mat with him, and he beat him on the mat in that third round. I mean, the dude's jiu-jitsu is really good. I'm not saying uh, – I don't know if Dalby can outgrapple Yanka Brawl. I mean, he probably – he could if he, you know, if he uh, put his mind to it. But uh, I just think Cummins is going to scrape it out. Well, we got a split decision, man. So which side you on, Kyle? Uh, I just checked. Uh, Zach Cummins closed as a plus 475 underdog versus Yanka Brawl. So that that's crazy if, uh, if anyone catch that. But – in this fight, man, like, I just give the advantage to Dalby across the board. I think he's the quicker guy. I think he mixes it up well with punches to kicks to takedowns. Um, with all that being said, and with your point about him finding a way to win uh, or at least make it a draw versus Darren Till, Till threw his shoulder out. Like, he came out of that third round just looking to survive, hoping, to, hoping that he won the decision. And I thought he did win the decision. Granted, I had money on Darren Till. I think he's one of the top prospects in the game right now. I love uh, how powerful he strikes and, and the head on his shoulders is great. But I think if, if you're going to give Dalby a 10-8 in that third round, you got to give Darren Till a 10-8 in that first round because he, he hit him at will and dropped him, in the, uh, dropped him at the end of the round. Of course, I'm biased because I had money on it. But um, it, here, when Dalby's taking on Zach Cummins, I feel like the same shots that Till was landing in, in the early parts of their fight, I think Zach Cummins can land. I think... He's got a very, very crisp uh, left cross from a southpaw stance that he, he goes to a lot, especially when he's looking to finish. He doesn't start throwing wild bombs. He resets very nicely. 
and he keeps that cross coming down the pipe. And the way Darren Till shells up, it's very kickboxing Dutch style, like over him, you know, how he would just shell up because he's bulky. And we've seen him got caught with the uh, stuff coming up the middle. So um, it's dangerous, but I- I'm going with Dalby. I just I feel like he can um, land more mixing the takedowns, and he's technically better on the feet than Zach Cummins. But because of that chink in the armor that I've seen, um, and and the fact that Zach Cummins has the tool to exploit that, I, I, it's shying me away from a bet. But uh, the pick will be Dalby. I'd like to comment on the Till versus Dalby fight. Firstly, MMA Genius disagrees with me on this. I also scored the first round of 10-8, and I had money on Till. I've had both Till and Dalby on half the battle. So, I mean, to me, I like both of them a lot. Great guys. This is why I scored the first round a 10-8. Because, look, the first round would have been a 10-9 no matter what. He was – Darren Till was dominating the entire round, which is a 10-9. And then at the end of the round, he knocks him down with an uppercut and almost knocks him out. So, to me, it's like, all right, if I'm dominating a guy and I'm thinking in my head, all right, well, I got the 10-9 sealed. What do I have to do to get a 10-8? Well, how about drop him with an uppercut? Will that give me a 10-8? So he drops him with an uppercut. In my book, that was a 10-8. And then the next round was a 10-9. And then Dalby got a 10-8 in the third. Now, here's my comment to you, Kyle, about, oh, but Till blew his shoulder out. Listen, if uh, Dalby wanted a way out, he could have found a way out. In that first round, he didn't have to answer the bell between rounds. In that second round, he could have taken a knee. But in that third round, even though Till was hurt, Dalby showed that spirit. He showed the balls and the heart of a champion because he aggressively attacked him and tried to finish. Now he couldn't finish for whatever reason, you know, one little interesting thing. And maybe this is a knock on his fight IQ. I asked him, I said, well, you had till in the mount and you were pounding him out and you could have got the stoppage with a couple more shots, but then you decided to go for an arm triangle. Why did you do that? And his response was, dude, I didn't even, I don't even remember two seconds of that fight. So I believe Darren Till disoriented him, you know, with all that striking. Now, you mentioned how Cummings does have, you know, a very good left cross. I can't deny that. He does have a good left cross. But his level of stand-up compared to Till's, it's night and day. Yeah. Darren Till is a way better striker than Zach Cummings. Darren Till, a lot of people don't know about him, but he's actually one of the best strikers in the 170-pound division. And as his career unfolds, you'll find out firsthand what I'm talking about. He is very, very good. So, you know, we, we don't have to agree on if the first round was a 10-8 or not. Who gives a shit? But bottom line, you know, we all know Dalby's a winner, and we all agree that Zach Cummings is a really tough, gritty dude. So it just comes down to who you're picking. I got Dalby, you got Cummings, and I'm guessing uh, you said you got Dalby too? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm picking Dalby across the board. Uh, my point about him versus Till was not so much that, uh, like, he definitely showed incredible heart in those first two rounds, but it's not as if he did anything to change the momentum. It was more uh, Till just was no longer there to, to fight him. You know what I mean? He was just there to survive. So I don't know if, if Zach Cummins rocks him early or, or finds success early, if Dalby will be able to shift the momentum. Now, that being said, I totally agree with you that Darren Till is one of the best strikers in the game right now, I think. And, and Cummins striking is nowhere near that level, but he's also a tall Southpaw. And, and I just see that strike landing in this fight. So, um, but yeah, again, I'm, I'm going with Dalby. I think he gets it done. Yeah, and uh, one more thing, and you can counter to this as well if you'd like. Um, So the thing is, in the third round of George St. Pierre versus Thiago Alves, he pulls his groin and still wins the next two rounds. So, I mean, you can get injured in a fight and still win. I get that he hurt his shoulder, but, I mean, Till was, uh, you know, 
it, Dolby Dolby took it to him that that third round. I mean that third round for sure. Yeah. Whereas like like I said, George St. Pierre pulled groin and uh, Greg Jackson's in his corner like hit him with it. Hit him you with it. I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah so you. that Go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just saying yeah, I feel you, but I mean still I don't think Dolby took over the fight. You know what I mean? He just survived. It's not as if he pushed through. You know you did, did you know the uh you know what I'm trying to say? Like the difference there? I do. I do. I do. Is taking over. Yeah. But because Till threw his shoulder out, but it's not like if Till didn't throw his shoulder out, I think he wins that fight for sure. Like there's no way Dolby even wins that third round. For sure. Now, what if uh, George St. Pierre blew his uh, shoulder out? Would he, would he just bend bend over like that? Just just jab and a lot of movement. (laughs) <laughs> the thing is it's gonna be hard to jab with the shoulder he'd have to switch to southpaw but anyways we, we can sit here and talk shit all day let's talk yes. about this next fight oh, we'll talk for a second so all right marina moroz minus 185 christina stanchu plus 160 marina moroz you know she's got a boxing background she'll go for arm bars and uh stanchu actually ha- is a wushu champion i'm gonna go with marina moroz just because of ufc experience i think it goes all three rounds yeah um like I said, uh, chick fights are good fights for hitting the over. But, you know, Moroz, she likes that arm. She is. Uh, she was on the Ukrainian national boxing team, if, if, I, uh, yeah. if I'm right. Yeah. Um, I really don't know much on her opponent, but I'll take Moroz uh, by armbar. Yeah. yeah. I, I think she's better on the ground, but with women's fights, it's – it's not because they're women. It's just because the divisions are so new. There's no litmus test. Like, you know, for example, Marina Moroz, her first fight, she's a she's a plus – she had closed as a plus 600 underdog versus Joanne Calderwood just because Joanne Calderwood was on uh, Ultimate Fighter. People know who she is. These lines are crazy. So, like, if you're going to bet on women's MMA, I would just dog or pass all day. Um, but here, I mean – I got to go with the bookies. I got to, I got to say Marina Moroz, her striking is not terrible and she should have a clear advantage on the mat, but uh, same. I, I don't really know too much about her opponent. So for me, it's a clear pass. Yeah. Now next up we got Jan Blankovic. He's minus three seventy. The comeback on Igor, the Duke book riots is plus three ten. And I mean, here's the thing with this fight. Blankovic should win. He should keyword should, but will he, I mean, here's the thing with this guy. Uh, he's first of all, if you watch his fights outside of the UFC before he, he came into the big show, it's not like he was really that impressive. You know, he was kind of win these decisions here and there, but that body kick he landed on Ilir Latifi, the crack, you know, you cringe when you hear that crack, man. And, uh, then his next two, uh, performances were very underwhelming. The thing with Igor is he's lost his last five UFC fights. Now he got a little bit of confidence back because he went on the regional scene. He crushed a couple cans. And I'm not talking journeymen. I'm talking cans. I'm talking guys that are 0-3. These are the kind of fighters that Igor Pogratz has been fighting to get his way back here. Jobbers. But, he, but, <laughs> but here's the deal with this fight. I know a lot of people are putting Blankovic in parlays. Now he should win, right? He should. But how surprised would you be if you fucked it up? Because I wouldn't be surprised at all. I wouldn't be surprised at all. This fight has trap fight written all over it. It's a trick. Um, like we said, Blockovich, the thing, I love his kicks. He's a good kicker. The thing I hate about him is that lack of volume with his punches. He throws one punch at a time. It's just one jab, one jab, one jab, and a, an occasional right hand here and there. But he's just sticking to that jab and kicks. Either if you're betting on it, from that perspective, you either say he's going to not throw any volume and 
fight close and possibly lose a split, or he might end up going down. This fight actually kind of feels like that Tahuna and a bossy fight. You know, you feel like one guy should just come in here and steamroll a guy that hasn't doesn't really even fight, and he gets he got knocked out brutally. But um, of course, Jan should win. But he has several characteristics that make me shy away from him. You know, I hate dudes that don't uh, not personally hate, but you know, betting wise. Um, <laughs> from that, that don't throw volume. His cardio looked terrible, terrible against Corey after he hurt him with some body kicks early, which showed me he wasn't in that, that good of shape for being on that stage. And, you know, um, just that line, it, it's just too risky. I feel like I'm going to be sweating that if I play it. And, um, but I mean, of course, Jan should win. I mean, Igor, he's a jobber, you know, he comes in, He's been cut like three or four times, and he comes back, and he gets knocked out again and cut again. So it's uh, – I'll go with Yan, but, you know, that's just a typical pick. Um, but, yeah, he should get the job done. Yeah, I mean, I got Yan, but, you know, two big dudes, four-ounce gloves, anything can happen here. Who you got? <clears throat> well, I mean, the bet to make is definitely Yan by KO at plus one ninety five right now. If you want to, if you want to bet on Yan, that's the way to do it because he fades fast, and uh, even in the fights that he does fade, he does connect. But like you said, it's single shots, and that's because he throws everything with power. You know, definitely not the type of fighter um, I'm. I, I like. You know, I don't like guys who just do that. But uh, Ego Pakrai, it's like his durability is shot. You know, he he gets hit, he goes down. It's just like. He's one of these guys, these veteran fighters who he might get in the clinch and realize, oh, I'm way better than Jan Blachowicz in the clinch because Jan Blachowicz lost to um, Jimmy Manoa. And Jimmy's not a grappler. He's not a wrestler. He just got out clinched. And, you know, it, that could definitely happen and that could sap Jan's will. But I think the most likely outcome in this fight is that Jan connects early and, and Igor cannot take that shot, whether it's a big punch to, to the head or, or a body kick, you know. Um, so I'm going to be picking Jan Blachowicz, and uh, my book doesn't have the uh, the prop for the KO yet, but it's open on Sport Bet and Five Dimes at plus 195. So if if you like Jan Blachowicz, that's the bet to make, in my opinion. Yeah, and hopefully it is a big body kick because I mean I want to hear that that crack of the ribs one last time, you know? Because yeah, well I'll, I'll just leave it at there. I'm not going to say what I was about to say. But next up, we got Marcin Tibura. It's minus 150. The comeback on Timothy Johnson is plus 130. Now, here's the thing with Marcin Tibura. So it's, it's been kind of hard to find a film on this guy, but let me tell yeah. you something. When you look at someone's highlight reel, don't you expect it to be, like, their most impressive moments that they've had in their career? Like, when you show, a, you know, a Carlos Condit highlight reel, an Anderson Silva highlight reel, it's knockout after knockout, submission after submission, right? In Marcin Tibura's, highlight i mean he's like hugging dudes he's barely getting takedowns he's just one of these uh sloppy euro grapplers he's one of these bigger men who uh likes to you know throw one shot then try to set up a takedown and it might work against a lot of guys but against an american wrestler that shit ain't happening man in my personal lines you know i set timothy johnson as a favorite so when i saw him at plus 150 just by uh, the virtue of the line i had to take that shot and i truly believe he'll win the fight man i mean it's his UFC debut, he pounds out a Russian in the first round. One doesn't simply pound out a Russian in the first round. And in his second fight, he takes on Rochal. We know Rochal got cut. Dude was 6-2. and Rochal is one of the hardest guys to fight because, you know, he runs away or he lays on you. It's really hard to fight that guy. But this is a different matchup, you know, with uh, – 
Tibora is a little bit slower. I think that uh, Tim's going to find a way to win here. So we'll see what happens. I want to cash that plus 150. Yeah, I mean, there's not really much I can say about this fight because there's literally not any footage on uh, Tibora, you know. Um, he's Russian. That's all I know. His, his uh, name's Marcin. He's <laughs> Polish, actually. <laughs> oh, it's Polish. Okay. Polish. <laughs> um, you don't even know that. <laughs> and uh uh with uh, tim johnson you know he's a grinder you know solid meathead you know just gonna push forward grind it out make it ugly you know i like that style you know a blind bet on uh not a blind bet but just a blind in the fact that i i don't know anything about tiber i've never seen him fight before there's no footage of him um you know i'll just go with tim johnson but um i really can't say much because i haven't seen anything on tiber what do you think, man? I'm, I'm with you guys, and it, it's interesting because I haven't seen much tape either. I really looked hard trying to find it, but th the footage I have seen of Tybura, like, all he does is get into the clinch, try to drag guys down. He's pretty good on the mat, like, especially if he gets your back, that's his go-to. But, I mean, Rochalt couldn't take down Tim Johnson against the cage. He's a full 265 guy, wrestling background, you know. And, sure, like, uh, Tim Johnson, that is. But, sure, Marcin Tybura... He's a little bit heavier than Rochelle. Rochelle is kind of on the smaller size of heavyweights, but he's definitely the better wrestler. So I just don't think that uh, Marcin's going to be able to, to shoot a double leg the same way uh, Rochelle. That's how Rochelle got down Tim in the first round. It was a, it was a sick double leg. He turned the corner. Tiber is just not capable of that. And uh, Tim Johnson, you know, if he keeps this on the feet, I think he's going to find his chin. He's got he's a long, heavy, tall, just you know, very very difficult uh, heavyweight fighter to to beat. So I love this this plus one fifty. Uh, did you you bet that already, eh, Dan? Right. Yeah, for sure. So I was thinking about taking the shot. I, I'm still thinking about taking the shot at plus one thirty right now. But uh, Pat Wyman and uh, Will Martin are both on Tybura. I guess they've seen more footage, and I guess they think he can he can drag us to the map. But for me, like I watched that Rochal fight with Johnson, and I was impressed, man. There was one point. Uh, Rochal was trying to take him down. He reverses it, slams him into the cage. He had him all types of dinged up on the feet, like. And and the other thing is, like, when you're talking about regional heavyweight uh, MMA, like, I feel like you either get big sloppy guys or smaller, quicker technical guys. You don't ever really get a full-sized, skillful heavyweight. And I really think that's what Tim Johnson is. You know, he's super tall, like I said, super heavy. And I think he's able to uh, to catch Tybura and knock him out. In his one loss, that was the one fight I was able to see where the doctor stopped it. I mean, Tybura just eats shots. So if he starts – if he's on the end of Tim Johnson's punches, I think Johnson puts him away. And for plus money, I, I do like a bet on that. So I'm just going to wait for the weigh-ins because I do want to see how these guys look on the scale um, compared to each other. If Tim Johnson is noticeably bigger than him, I'm, I'm definitely going to take it. Were you about to add something here? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, with uh, Tim Johnson, like he was saying in that Rochelle fight, I mean, I, I bet on him in that fight, and I felt like he really could have won, man. Yeah. You know, he – them, and I like that Hardy showed in that third round because most dudes, like, we saw Stefan Struve, we saw other dudes just accept getting grinded on, but Tim Johnson didn't, you know. He he kept fighting, he kept fighting, and he reversed him in that third round, almost knocked him out, and, you know, that shows heart. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned how uh, our buddy Patrick Wyman's on uh, T-Bora, and much respect to Patrick Wyman. You know, I'm a fan of heavy hands, but with all due respect, Patrick Wyman's not a gambler, so it is what it is. Now, next up... We got uh, Francis Naganu. He's actually the underdog. He's plus 125. He's taking on Curtis Blades, who's minus 145. And, you know, when we were doing the film coming up to this fight, we wanted to bet on Curtis Blades at plus money. 
but I can't do the minus 145 anymore. So now it's dog or pass. And I mean, here's the thing with Naganu. It's it's a situation like Czech Congo where the most impressive the most impressive part of his game is not his fighting skills. It's actually his physique. He looks like a fucking superhero. He looks like you know someone from Marvel or DC Comics. I mean, the guy just is the Hulk. Is the new school Czech Congo. So he's got big power in his hands, but no takedown defense, no sense of urgency to get back up off the bottom. And, uh, yeah, man, so Curtis Blades should be able to grind it out. But like we were talking about, man, that minus 150, that minus 160, that minus 170, yeah, this one might cash. But if I go bet another one that doesn't cash, that's a losing night. So I don't take those risks anymore, man. I'm trying to play – I'm not saying I'm trying to play it safe because, you know, I took that plus 300 earlier, but I'm trying to play it smarter. But in this fight, like, I'd lean blades, but that line won't let me take it, man. So I got to – I guess I got to go in again, even though I think blades is going to win. If you're from a betting perspective, take the dog on this one, man. But I think blades will grind him out with the wrestling, but it could be too soon, and he could get caught. Because one thing I did like about Nagano, I will give him credit here. Even though he doesn't have a sense of urgency to get up off the bottom, even though he doesn't have takedown defense, he's got heart. And that goes a long way in my book because when he was back on his feet, it's not like he was running away or, or you know, it's not like he had his, it's not like his corner, like, you know, the Rumble DC fight was like, don't quit, don't quit. It wasn't any shit like that, man. He, he got, you know, once he finally, once the ref gave him a favorable stand-up, you know, a la Sage Northcutt versus Cody Fister, <laughs> that's when he knocked him out. But he still knocked him out. So you got to give him credit for that. But with – but the guy he knocked out was one of those heavyweights that should be a light heavyweight. You know, he weighs in at like 219. And you're like, dude, just make the cut, you lazy fuck. But now he's taking on a guy <laughs> in Curtis Blades who cuts to 265. So if Curtis Blades gets on top of you, I mean, good luck getting him off of you. So I got Blades for the victory, but I'm passing on a bet. Yeah, you know, uh, like Dan said, when this fight got announced, you know, we were looking at bet Curtis Blades at plus money. You know, I really thought he was going to be at plus money. You know, this is a guy that, you know, Stipe Miocic and uh, Fabricio Verdum have, like, personally bought in for their training camps at times. And, you know, when you watch the footage on this guy, this dude doesn't waste any time crushing these cans on the local scene. He doesn't waste any time. He gets in there and first punch, they're down, you know. Um, or first suplex. First suplex, they're done. This dude, I like that from a betting perspective. And, you know, to be honest, I think Curtis Blades is parlayable, you know. You know, Nagano, he's a, he's a physical specimen. He's a freak. He looks like, like Dan said, a fucking superhero, you know. Um, he's got power in his hands. But I think Curtis Blades takes him down easily, you know. And I think he works on top, and I think he gets an early finish, in my opinion. But, you know, a shot on Nagano is justifiable just because he's an athletic freak, and it's a heavyweight fight. Anyone has a chance. Anyone could go down. But, you know, I really like this kid, Curtis Blades, from a betting perspective because I don't like dudes that waste time if I, like, in comparison to Nagano. When I see him fight cans, I've seen him waste time laying on his back, clinching up. When you fight, when you're a UFC-level fighter, you've got to crush him right away. And I like this kid, Curtis Blades, and I think he gets a first-round finish. Yeah, I like Curtis Blades, too, but I don't like the line. What do you think, Kyle? I think Curtis Blades is a centaur. I think he's a horse from the waist down. The guy, he's, his lower half of his body is massive. He's a full 265. And uh, uh, when I was looking at betting Tim Johnson and I passed, I did bet on Curtis Blades. In my book, he was plus 110. I threw a unit on that. And I finally know what it feels like to be sharp. So i uh, got to pat myself <laughs> I was about to say, uh, <laughs> hashtag sharp. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, it, it, it opened at even money, bumped up to plus 110. I was like, all right. Um, but yeah, I mean, even in uh, Francis Ngannou's uh, UFC debut, 
you got to realize, like you said, he's fighting a 205 That guy could cut to, to middleweight, realistically, and he's a Brazilian wrestling champ. Now we have a 265-pound American collegiate wrestler, and in that fight, Francis Naganu never broke a clinch. He never was able to get up. The ref saved him multiple times, and, uh, and it, it, it was so... It was almost cruel how the ref would make uh, the Brazilian work to get a takedown or work in the clinch. And then as soon as like he was in half guard, he's like, all right, that's enough. Stand up. And now the Brazilian's tired. You know what I mean? So I did like how Naganu didn't expend a lot of energy. But at the same time, like he's not getting up if Curtis Blades takes him down. Now, Curtis Blades, his striking is pretty uh, – I don't want to really say it looks green, but it is green. You know, he's been striking less than a year. But he looks tight. He's like you guys said. He's trained with Verdum. He's trained with uh, other top level UFC heavyweights. Stipe so, Miocic. Stipe Miocic. Yeah, sure. Like he knows what high level heavyweights look like. So I think he's just going to clearly enter the clinch behind some crisp punches, uh, grab a hold of this dude, take him down, and, and pound him out. Now he does have a bad tendency to hit the back of the head uh, on his opponents, but I kind of like his urgency in the ground and pound. And I just do not see Francis Nagano getting up once he's taken down. So. Uh, yeah, like I said, I got one unit at plus 110, and it's kind of – I agree, it's unbettable now, but uh, but that's what I went with. Very sharp, and I hope that cashes. And I also hope that after the weigh-ins, when they see the physique on this guy, Naganu, that he he becomes the favorite, and I get to take yeah. a shot on Blades as well. So we'll, we'll see what happens, man. This is definitely that kind of card where you watch the weigh-ins before you make your final picks because, I mean, lots of debuts, lots of heavyweights, lots of question marks. So, yeah, man. Now, next up. Gabriel Gonzaga, he's a plus-120 underdog. He's taking on Derek Lewis, who's minus-140. Now, when this fight first got announced, we're all like, all right, Derek Lewis is about to kill him. I mean, Gonzaga's been knocked out eight times. One doesn't simply get knocked out eight times. You know, this all, all, all that shit. But here, here's, here's the deal. You look into this fight a little deeper, and it's like, well, Derek Lewis wins the majority of his fights via ground and pound. So is he going to take down Gonzaga and ground and pound? And that's kind of hard to see, but... A scenario that's not hard for me to see is if Derek Lewis can survive the first round with Gonzaga and then Gonzaga shoots for that sloppy takedown, Derek Lewis reverses him and then pounds him out. I can see that happening. But I'm not going to completely discount Gonzaga here because I do think if he gets on top, there is a chance he can submit Derek Lewis. But, you know, man, I've been going back and forth on this one. I can totally see the Gonzaga sub or decision. Because, you know, last time he fought a striker, even though Lewis is way better than Constantino Roken, you know, once a guy is scared of the takedown and he fears that takedown, he doesn't let his strikes go as much. And like I said with Lewis, he's known for his ground and pound. So it's either going to go down with Gonzaga getting on top and subbing him, or Lewis is going to weather that storm and eventually pound him out. And I wouldn't put it past him to knock him out standing either. I mean, you know, Gonzaga... He's like I said, he's gone down eight times, man. Chin never recovers, but you know, with those heavyweights, those four ounce gloves, anyone can go down. I've bet against Gonzaga before and got burnt, man. And he's knocked dudes out in front of my face. And uh, yeah, I've gotten burnt before. I'm gonna lean Lewis here, but I'm not gonna bet, and I'm not confident at all. Yeah, you know, like Dan said, when this fight got announced, I was expecting Gonzaga to be like plus three hundred with all the hype on Black Beast lately, and you know. Black Beast is the favorite for a reason because Gonzaga's been knocked out eight times. He looked like shit against Sorokin. Oh, my God, that was the worst fight I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, the thing with this fight is, like Dan said, Lewis likes to go in that guard, and he likes to beat dudes up with that ground and pound. And to be honest, when I watched Lewis fight, he really doesn't throw that much on the feet, you know. 
He uh, throws one punch here and there, a kick here and there, but he's very inactive on the feet, just like Gonzaga. I feel like they could both stare at each other, and this could be like possibly a boring heavyweight fight, but I feel the second these dudes clinch up, either Derek Lewis is going to knock him out stiff or Gonzaga's going to uh, survive getting rocked and get this into the second, third round, or possibly win a decision, or Derek Lewis gives him his back or gives him his arm, gets on top, and gets submitted. Um, the line's not good enough for me to take that shot on uh, Napal, so I'll just take Lewis just because the dude's been knocked out eight times. He looked awful in um, that Arokin fight, but I feel like Lewis, uh, Lewis uh, I wouldn't say he has the best IQ, and he does, definitely doesn't have the best cardio, but, I mean, he's been improving lately, and he's got power, man. Yeah, and one thing we like to say is he should win. Should. <laughs> what do you think, Kyle? I think we should never say that anybody will win because this sport is so volatile. You, you, no one's an oracle. No one's 100%. But in this fight, I mean, looking at the lines, uh, I, I totally agree with your analysis. I think if Gonzaga gets it down to the ground, he submits him. And, uh, and that line, Gonzaga by submission, is plus 400. So if you want to bet on Gonzaga, I think that's the way to do it. Um, uh, just a quick note about that Iroken fight. I actually did put a unit on Gonzaga in that fight. So a lot of people watching thought it was boring. But for me... It was just like when you watch uh, Jake Ellenberger. Every time he landed a jab, I was like, yes, game. <laughs> so it was super entertaining for me. Uh, any fight is when you have money on the line. But uh, here, I'm going with Lewis, man. I think this guy's making improvements. You know, he came into the UFC very, very raw. He's, I, I think he's improved. I, I think he's, he's also – it's like if he blows his wad, you know, he can blow his wad very easily, but – He's shown a lot of patience. He's shown an ability to just relax, stay calm. If the guy's not coming in at him, he doesn't chase. He, he stuffs the takedowns. And he, I don't really think he knocks guys out, like, really from the guard, you know? Like, he's not really – he's kind of standing over them most of the time. And even if he is in guard, I don't know how many wins, uh, submissions Gonzaga has off his back. You know, it's usually uh, key locks and Americanas from on top. So, for sure, Gonzaga can submit him if he gets on top. Uh, the other thing to note, too – and. I always say this, I don't like saying it, but Derek Lewis might just be too goddamn strong to submit with, with something like an arm lock, you know? So all that being said, you know, Gonzaga has been around forever and he can, he can surprise guys. You know, he knocked out, uh, man, who did he, you guys would probably know, who did he knock out? Was it Matt Mitrion? No, Mitrion uh, knocked him out. It was John Jordan. Yeah, that was it. That was it where he was just John so Brock crisp, but I don't see Lewis rushing in like that. I just think Lewis is going to get a hold of him throw him down, and then just knock him out. Uh, you know, we saw Junior Dos Santos knock him out standing over him just like that. I think it's going to look the exact same. And if, uh, man, if Lewis lands one of those, like, crazy bombs, I'm, I'm seriously concerned for Gonzaga's health because that dude, I've never seen anyone hit that hard in the UFC. Definitely, man. And, you know, I'll go on record and say that the Black Beast, Derek Lewis, he has been improving. I've noticed those improvements, you know, before uh, – like the MMA genius would say, he, he's kind of singular with his strikes, but in his last fight, he threw a head kick. So I'm like, hey, man, you know, he's, he's coming out here. He's showing that he's trying to evolve his style. So I can appreciate that, and I can respect it. Yeah, and actually, I take that back about his cardio because in the Victor Pesta fight, he gets yeah. mounted, he's grinded, and then he comes back, and he mounts Victor Pesta, and he beats him up and wins the fight. So, you know, I mean, he's got that heart. And uh, his cardio isn't good, but it's not bad. Let me not say that. And Gonzaga is no cardio machine either. So it's not like he's got a substantial advantage there, you know. 
Yeah, Gonzaga's just got the edge in terms of the experience and in terms of, uh, you know, that Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But he's got to be on top to work that jiu-jitsu because, like Kyle mentioned, I don't expect him to get an armbar from bottom. So watch him get an armbar from bottom. But uh, no, I, I don't expect that to happen, man. Now, main event of the evening, Junior Cigano Dos Santos, JDS. He's minus 130. The comeback on big Ben Rothwell is plus 110. Now, a couple of years back, if they would have made this matchup, you know, I'd put my entire house and the MMA Genius's house on Junior Cigano. I mean, we, 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 we'd mortgage our entire savings. Uh, on uh, <laughs> on Junior Cigano because look that run from the Fabrizio Werdum knockout to the Frank Mir knockout I'm gonna go on record and say that's the greatest heavyweight of all time better than Fedor better than Kane better than Werdum better than Overeem I mean better than any of these guys that run was the best heavyweight run in UFC history now I know someone's gonna say oh Fedor uh, yeah look Junior wasn't fighting Hong Man Choi. You know, <laughs> like, come on, man. Yeah, I mean, he's fighting like he a, like, like a Hong Man Choi, but uh, he wasn't fighting Minsu Kim. And, <laughs> and, and, and no disrespect. And listen, oh, man. no no disrespect to Fedor because I got a framed picture of Fedor on my wall. We know the No Care Wars. We know the fight with Krokop. I'm, I'm not some fucking rook. I understand how great Fedor is, but look, JDS is the best heavyweight of all time in his prime. But that prime is long gone. It's long gone. It's been gone. I mean, what Kane did to him, dude, like, you don't come back from that. And, I mean, the heart that Cigano displayed to not go down in that second fight, geez. But that third fight, he went down, and now he's getting dropped by dudes. He's going out there against Overeem. And we know Cigano's hands. That's what he's been known for, that boxing. He's got the best boxing in the heavyweight division. What does he do against Overeem? He goes in there and trades kicks with the K1 striker. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? And then in his uh, Megan Olivia interview, like before the fight, he's like, you know, I'm just trying to find myself, find my style. Like, I need to use all my tools and all this. Sh He's saying the wrong things because to me, I'm like, yeah, you do need to use all your tools. But for you, all your tools is knocking dudes out with your hands and stuffing takedowns. Once you start throwing kicks and, you know, he threw that spinning kick on Hunt and he caught him. So then I think he got a little cocky and his next fight with Kane. He tries throwing that kick a couple times, misses every single time. He's not setting up his overhand rights anymore with that crisp jab. He's not mixing it up to the body like he used to. I mean, dude, if you go watch Prime Cigano, like I said, best heavyweight of all time, that striking was just nasty. It was crisp. It was technical. But now we're dealing with uh, Ben Rothel, and he's the guy who's talking, I want to be champion. Cigano's talking like, I need to find myself again, uh, this and that. Ben Rothwell's talking, I want to be the motherfucking champion. Ben Rothwell's talking, I'm going to be the first man in UFC history to submit Josh Barnett. Wait, now real quick, I might be wrong. Did someone make Josh Barnett tap to strikes back in the day? Yeah, yeah Okay, so the first man to sub him with a submission, not to make One him quit. Exactly. One does not <laughs> simply tap Josh Barnett, let alone with a go-go choke. And it's the second go-go choke in UFC history. Who has the first? Ben Rothwell. Two back-to-back go-go chokes, something we've never seen before. Now, let's talk about this guy's stand-up a little bit. He goes in there against Overeem, who we all know, yeah, he doesn't have the best chin. But but striking-wise, you know, offensive striking, he's the best in the world. And Ben Rothwell, he tooled with him, man. I, he, uh, he gets him to lean into that uppercut. He rocks him. And then when Overeem... Starts to feel a little bit uh, comfortable. 
And that's when Ben Rothwell threw that big overhand right and dropped him. He was in full control that entire fight. Now, I know some people talk about the Mitrione fight like, oh, Mitrione was lighting him up and then he just shot for a random takedown. That's not what happened at all. Big Ben caught him with a big right hand. He caught him with a big uppercut. He threw a big leg kick. He got him panicking. And then he shot for a takedown. And Ben capitalized. So... I think that what's going to happen is Junior's going to try to be the old Cigano. You know, he might throw that that jab to the body. He might throw a nice combo or two, but Ben's going to find a way to win. That's it. He's going to find a way to win. So I took one unit at plus 110 for Big Ben Rothwell because he will find a way to win. Yeah. The thing with the JDS, I mean, it's just been that long, continuous strings of devastating beatings, man. It's the, the those cane fights. Then he goes in that Stipe fight, which, in my opinion, I feel like that took everything out of him. You know, even though he won that fight, I feel like that was just the type of fight where after that he can never recover the same, you know. And real quick, sorry to interrupt you, but let's talk about the Stipe fight for one sec because third round of the Stipe fight, JDS drops Stipe. Prime JDS, that would have been game, set, and match. Shot JDS, he drops him and backs off, and I'm like, dude. I bet him inside the distance that fight. So he drops Stipe. I'm like, all right, we got it. Yes. And then he doesn't follow up. He backs up and lets him up. So I'm like, yeah. yeah. It's just like those beatings, man. You know, I feel like JDS might be entering that stage that those heavyweights go through, you know, where they start going down, you know, uh, in consecutive fights, you know. Um, the thing with Ben is he has all the, mo all the momentum. It's just that law of attraction. He believes in himself. Belief is a big thing. It's a, it's a hard thing to beat, man. As we've seen with Conor McGregor's run, we've seen with plenty of dudes, you know, but when you, a dude believes in himself, where in comparison to where JDS is questioning himself, you know, he's moving country, he's changing teams, you know, uh, you know, he's, uh, he got, a. Uh, rid of his coach, uh, Luis Doria, for his last fight, but now he's back with him. Things just seem, you know, a little off and on, you know. Um, whereas where Ben, everything's steady. His camp's built around him, and all his guys are for him. You know, of course JDS has better hands. Ben doesn't have better hands than JDS. He doesn't have better striking, but Ben's a better fighter at this point, you know. Um, he's going to find a way. Of course, I think JDS probably will get off on the feet early. If he shows up, he'll probably light him up with some punches. But I feel like Ben will eat it. Ben has a chin of steel, man. We never see Ben just go out to punches, you know, unless he's getting, you know, taken down and mauled like, you know, how he did versus Velasquez or something like that. Even then it was early. He, exactly. And he could have went down way earlier in that fight, to be honest. The thing with this dude, Ben, is it's that belief, man. And you know, at plus money, taking a taking a shot on Ben is definitely justifiable, and I'm definitely going to put some uh, probably more on that. I already got a unit on it right now, but I only got it at plus 105, but it's okay. And, you know, um, I just think JDS, um, it's just that law of attraction, man, and I got Ben by second, third round uh, TKO. What do you think, man? Yeah, I like that. Uh, I took Ben. I took him, uh, I got 1.5 units at even money. So we're all kind of in the same boat here. Um, I just feel like Junior, you know, like you said, I completely agree. He's the, he was the best heavyweight ever when he was on his run, when he was in his mid-20s, in midst of a title hunt, you know. And, uh, and it, was, it was crazy because that was around the time where I started watching MMA. And I remember just thinking that, like, them giving Lesnar a shot was just ridiculous because we had this Brazilian monster knocking dudes out. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's aged so much and he's been through the ringer, you know, Kane, a lot of people, I think, don't remember that Kane actually knocked him out in that, uh, was it the first fight or the second fight? 
or so, sorry, the, the second or third, right? Like he, he got knocked out there. He got knocked out versus Overeem. He got whooped by uh, Stipe, like back and forth. Um, and, and he's, he relied so heavily on his speed advantage. Like the reason he was so good in his twenties is because he was so fast, just throwing bombs. Like if you go back and watch the Stefan Struve fight, they aren't technical punches. They're just, it's just a crazy whirlwind of, of haymakers. And he's just not capable of doing that anymore. Conversely, Ben Rothwell is a dude who's been fighting forever. He's been, he was taking fights when he was 16 against Tim Sylvia, which is crazy. So he's a guy who's like trial by fire, you know, never really an incredible athlete, but just been able to craft, uh, hone his craft through, through fights. You know, he's had so many fights and with that go-go choke, I'm sure a lot of us, when he got it against Matt Mitrione, we were like, okay, that's just a sign that Mitrione sucks on the ground. Then he submits Ben, uh, Josh Barnett. And you're like, Oh shit, that is, (laughs) this is something legit, man. Like it's crazy. And then also, yeah, I think JDS is going to hit him. I don't think that's crazy to say, you know, but Rothwell just takes the best shots everybody has to offer. He took a body kick from Brandon Vera, who is, you know, not the best heavyweight, but he's a good, good kicker. He took a clean liver kick and walked forward after that. He took, um, I actually disagree with you a little bit about that Overeem fight. I think Overeem was getting off a lot of strikes on him and he just walks through. And we see guys time and time again, when you land your shot and then the guy's still looking at you, a la Darren Elkins, it's very, very discouraging. So I don't think... Junior Dos Santos has uh, the speed or the output anymore to be able to put uh, a guy like Rothwell away. Uh, in that Stipe fight, he was he had like solid volume. You know, he he always liked to throw a lot of jabs. But after the first round, I mean, he was dead. Like he's just everything that was so good about him is gone at this point. And uh, like I said, I got a unit and a half on Ben Rothwell, even money. I think it's I think it's a good bet. And uh, yeah, I'm expecting Big Ben to uh, to find a way to win. Like you said, I agree with MMA genius. I think it's going to be a, a third round TKO after he survives the first round. He starts to uh, get his groove. You know, he's a bit of a slow starter, but when he feels the fight and and he's like all these veterans like Mark Hunt, like they can spot openings and they go, oh, you're doing that. Okay, I'll double fake a double jab and come in with a huge right hand, right? Like, so I just see Rothwell being the more intelligent fighter. He's too durable to be put away. And I think he's going to get a win. Yeah, that's actually a great point because Ben Rothwell does read his opponents while he's in there. He figures out what you're doing. He looks at your timing. And then once he's ready to let it go, that's when you're in big trouble. So as long as he doesn't go down, you know, I think he's got this in the bag, man. Yeah. I feel like um, like Ben's game, I really like it because I feel like he lets he lets you tee off on him. I feel like yeah. he stands there still and he, he lets you tee off on him. And then when he lets you believe that you're lighting him up and you have that confidence and you go in, then he lets that right hand. And I haven't seen anyone not get rocked when Ben lands that right hand. You know, like how you were saying earlier about the Mitrion fight, how Mitrion just says he shot in for a random double. Ben hit him with a right hand and he felt that shit and he shot immediately, you know. Yeah. Ben, I just feel like he's got that the way he fights, he's got it mastered. He's gonna let JDS uh tee off on him early. He'll he'll probably lose the first round. Probably he might get rocked, but I feel like the longer we stay in that fight, when Ben uh seizes that moment, he'll capitalize on that moment and he'll get the finish. And uh from a fan perspective, you know, it does suck to see JDS on the skid because he is such a nice guy. But I'll tell you what, Ben Rothwell's a nice guy too, so it feels good to see him get the you know, to get these victories, but uh and this is a ruthless, brutal, unforgiving sport. So it is what it is. You know, nice guys finish last, as they say, right? Sure. <laughs> Even though he, he had a great run. But uh, <laughs> no, we got to talk about 
the fighter to watch and the fight to watch. So first up, let's talk about the fight to watch. So in your opinion, what is the fight to watch for UFC Zagreb? The fight to watch, you know, besides the main event, I would probably have to go with Demir Hatsovich versus uh, Mirbek Tysonov. I think Hatsovich is going to open some eyes. He might lose his fight, but I feel like it's going to be a really back-and-forth fight, and um, that's going to be my pick. Yeah, and uh, Kyle, what's your fight to watch for UFC Zagreb? Um, I'm going to be a bit, you know, I'm going with the main event. I just think it's going to be interesting to see uh, Rothwell, his, his awkward striking, how that um, – matches up with Dos Santos's kind of more conventional boxing. And uh, one more thing to add about that fight. I mean, if they only had the tiny cage, I think Rothwell would be the champ for a long, long time. His fights versus Mitrione and, and Overeem, he cuts off the cage very, very well. So uh, I, it's going to be interesting to see if this is in the tiny cage. It's a pretty big arena, so I don't think it will be. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the main event. I think it's going to be a fun fight. I think, like you said, Junior's going to probably win the first round, and then Ben will just – I think we're, we're going to see, like, in the Brandon Vera fight, it's like he's kind of standing there, and then all of a sudden he wakes up, and he's moving, and he attacks, and I, I'm excited to see that. Yeah, you say he cuts off the ring real well, and he does. It's going to be interesting to see if he can cut off the ring against a guy like Sigano, you know, who was known for his boxing, known for uh, cutting dudes off you know, in the ring. So yeah. I do think in the beginning stages, Sigano's going to be the one walking him down, but eventually, you know, if this is a video game, his meter is going to start to go down, <laughs> and uh, Rothwell's going to stay the same. So... My fight to watch, I'll go with Dolby versus Cummins. Look, Dolby's last fight against Darren Till, that was a candidate for fight of the year. I mean, if it wasn't for Robbie versus Rory, I truly believe that Dolby versus Till, you know, is one of the top five fights of 2015. And Dolby, you know, he's not happy about that at all. He's pissed off that that fight went the way it did. He wants to make a statement here. And then with Zach Cummins, obviously he's coming off a very impressive first-round knockout. He wants to make a statement as well. You know, he comes from the same camp as James Krause. They've all been improving. But uh, I'm going to go with Dolby here. We'll see. But that is my fight to watch. And we got to talk about the fighter to watch. So, MMA Genius, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Zagreb? Man, um, I probably have to go with Big Ben, man. I feel like uh, if he wins this fight, uh, I probably took everyone else's. <laughs> but I feel like uh, if he wins this fight, I feel like he should get a title shot, man. Who is your fighter to watch, Kyle? I'm kind of the opposite of the MMA genius. I'm going fighter to watch. I'm going with Maribek Taisimov. Uh, he's honestly, he's one of my favorite fighters to watch. I don't blame you guys for betting against him. The line is off on this fight. It makes it tough to bet. But aesthetically, like what I enjoy watching in the octagon is exactly what Maribek Taisimov does. His entries, like I said, how crisp his strikes are. He mixes things in. And he's got this kind of like, just like shark shark eye, doll eye, glassed over look where you know he's just entering there ready to kill. You know, like he's he's no emotion. He's just all business. And uh, he's really one of my favorite fighters uh, coming up right now. So I'm going to go with him. Yeah, I mean, we got a, lo a lot of love for Tysimov on half the battle. I mean, how one doesn't simply not like <laughs> Tysimov. But if I'm to watch, I'm going to go with Demir Hadzovic because, look, he's got a big opportunity in front of him if he can come out here and get a win as a plus 300 dog against Merbek Taisumov I mean that'll skyrocket his career he'll already be a fringe top 15 guy with a victory over Taisumov but you know on the other hand if Taisumov can beat Hadzovic who in my opinion is a better opponent than all the guys Taisumov has currently beat in the UFC that'll also be a big statement they're both coming off similar layoffs 
So, I mean, my fighter to watch is Demir, but, I mean, you got to look out for Merbeck, too. I mean, Merbeck's a Killer. absolute monster Chechnyan <laughs> destroyer. And uh, we, we got a lot of respect for both of them. The only reason for the Demir bet on my on my part, like I said, is the plus 300. I mean, if, if Demir was minus 300, I bet on Tysimov. It is what it is. It's a 50-50 fight in my, in my book. Now, I want to thank both of you so much for joining me on this very special UFC Zagreb edition of Half the Battle. Welcome back anytime you guys want. And just let uh, the audience know what you got coming up, man. Yeah, man. Just follow me on uh, MMA Genius 5 and follow the Sport Matrix. What about you, man? Uh, yeah, uh, go, yeah, go uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel, Z's It's pretty much it's everything pretty much. I said here, but, uh, but yeah, and follow me on Twitter at RockstarZ. Yeah, definitely follow both of these gentlemen. Follow me at BestFightPicks. Go to BestFightPicks.com for all my picks. Subscribe to the Half the Battle podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube, and I hope you guys enjoy the fights.